You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord Thomas said, We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except You will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. I really like that because it makes sense of what I see. It makes sense of what I see around me. There is a yearning in every single person I've ever met, some kind of connection that they can never quite find. I remember seeing it really starkly back in uh, 2000, 2001. I spent a couple of years living uh, in Pittsburgh, in, in Pennsylvania, in the US, and amongst the, most, the, the poorest of the inner city ghetto kids, the kids from the projects, the kids who live in government housing. And when I say housing, I don't really mean housing. Uh, I know that we have people in our country who are poor, but this is a whole other kind of poor. I don't know if you know this about America, but you have living side by side like the richest people on earth and it seems the poorest. These kids are all African-American kids with the exception of a couple of white kids who probably had it worse than anyone else because they didn't fit in. They really stuck out, you know. And they were living in a city that used to be very prosperous. It was a mining town and, uh, uh, you know, steel mines that had long since... Um, folded and so you just have all of the rich people moving out of town and what's left is the, the poorest of the poor. Uh, I never met a single uh, African-American kid who knew their dad, not once. And most of them had never met their dad because he was dead. Um, that was the, by far the most common cause of death for men aged between 15 and 40. They were either dead or in jail, and mums um, were often finding it very hard to, um, you know, just do life. We would, we would talk to these kids, and we would talk to them about the kinds of things that we talk about here. Talk to them about God who loves them, and a home that he's calling them to, 
and it made sense to us. If you're here this morning and you've woken up in a five-bedroom house and uh, frankly you'd be more comfortable there right now and you're kind of wondering why you didn't just stay at home in your jammies eating hot cross buns with butter dripping down your fingers. For us, it's sometimes hard to connect with what I want to talk to you about, but for them it was easy. They knew what it meant to yearn for something. Like they had it in their gut from the very day they were born. They wanted something. This is why hip-hop music speaks so well to them because so much of the hip-hop they listen to tells them about the money and the women and the cars and the houses that they could have if they could just get rich and the reality is that none of them are ever going to be any kind of rich, but there's this yearning. They connect with this sense that that's something that they want. They know that they don't have what they were made to have or something like that. I wonder if you've ever felt this way, this sense that what you have, even as good as it might be, five bedroom house and three cars and five TVs and kids who, you know, generally kind of almost like you most of the time. Like this, maybe this, maybe this feels like enough, but I'm guessing, and this is, this is my leap, all right? So forgive me if this seems a little bit presumptuous, but my hypothesis is that all of us have a sense of yearning for something, something that's always just a little bit beyond our grasp. I'm willing to say this because I think it's true of everyone who has ever lived. This is not a judgment about you in particular or about us, but this is just, I believe, part of the human condition. We're born into a world that never quite quite delivers. Whether you're living in the ghetto in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or whether you are doing quite well in Caroline Springs, like no matter where you are and what stage of life you're in, there is, I believe, if you allow yourself to feel it, and, and we could do a whole other thing about what we do to numb this sense and to drown it out, but I believe if you allow yourself, you'll recognize this sense of yearning. There's something that you seek that is beyond your grasp. I believe that every person that's ever lived has experienced this just by virtue of being a created human being. I believe that this has been the case for everyone ever since the Garden of Eden. So I'm so grateful that Jody read that story for us because that saves me a whole lot of work this morning. I want to take you back, though, to the beginning of that story. I want to take you back to Eden. This is the story, poetic in nature, of how God creates human beings in his image. It's the only thing he creates in his image. He loves the world. God loves this world more than we ever could. He loves your dog more than you ever could. He loves every tree that we can see as we look down Caroline Springs Boulevard. Like he loves, he glories in this creation, but at the pinnacle of it all is man and woman. He makes them in his own image. That gives them dignity value and worth. If you've ever wondered why there's such a thing as 
human rights, universal human rights, irrespective of how rich someone is or what gender they are or whether they're a good person or a bad person. The answer to that question is only found in this truth. God made humanity in his image. You'll find no ground for human rights outside of that truth. So God makes us and he loves us and from the beginning he lives in relationship with us. He walks in the cool of the garden with Adam and with Eve. He relates to them as their creator without any screens, without any barriers, without any filters. The Bible says they're naked and without shame. There's no Instagramming, filtering, like touching up, photoshopping going on. They're just who they are and they know who they are and they know who God is and they're in constant rhythmic relationship with one another. That's Eden. That's called being at home. Being at home where God created us to be And it's set up like a temple where God himself resides with his people. It's perfect. And then, as the story told us, humanity turns their back on God. They turn, turn away from his sovereignty and his rule and his love. They turn away from intimate relationship with him without filters, without barriers. And so God separates himself from them. And he separates the people from the tree of life. And it's an act of mercy because God doesn't want a sinful, broken, dying humanity to live forever. It would be hell. And so he separates them from the garden and he puts these warrior angels with their flashing swords as a a keep out sign, as a way of keeping them from entering Eden again, keeping them from home. And from then until now, all humanity, for all of time, doesn't matter what religion they are, what cultural background they have, what nation they lived in and what time, All human beings have lived with this sense of unbelonging. Even the most patriotic person, the guy with the Australia flag outside of his house, right? the guy that's going to be at the dawn service come the end of the month, even those people who feel like this is the greatest country they could ever live in during the greatest time that's ever been, even that person has this sense of unbelonging. Sense of yearning for something that is outside of their grasp. The author and philosopher, theologian, C.S. Lewis, he recognized this and so he said of this, he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And the world that we were made for is not some kind of far-off fantasy heaven in the clouds. The world we were made for is Eden. 
We're made for living in this created universe of beauty and majesty with God, without shame, without barrier. That's Eden. That's the world we were made for. That's the thing that all of us are yearning to get back to. He's the one who made us. He didn't have to. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't needy. He didn't need more followers, right? He just he created us out of the abundance of his self-sufficiency. He just wanted relationship with us. And so he still wants that. That's the thing he yearns for. So you have in the Old Testament this, this account of God sort of going about the recreation of Eden. And he starts with this one guy named Abram. And he starts with him. He's just this random guy, pagan guy, living in the desert. And he starts with him and he chooses him out and he says, out of you, I'm going to make this nation that outnumbers the stars of the sky. Through you, we're going to bless the whole world. Through Abram, there's going to be this reestablishment of Eden, God living with people in harmony, with blessing. That's the whole idea of Israel. So he calls him out, and he, oh, through, the, through the, the, the narrative of the Old Testament, you see him sharing, revealing himself to these people. That's the point of the scriptures. God, he's saying, this is what I'm like. You have forgotten. Human beings have forgotten what I'm like since Eden. It's, it's, but there's a, this part of your brain that's broken, part of your heart that can't, can't kind of absorb the beauty and brilliance of who I am. And so he starts telling them, this is what I'm like. And then he says to them, okay, here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to carve out this kind of shadow of Eden, this sort of type, this copy and it's going to be called the tabernacle, and it's going to be this, like, this big tent, and, and I'm going to be in that tent like I was in Eden, and, 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 and you guys can meet with me, but it's going to be, there's going to be some caveats, all right? It's not going to be just like Eden, like breezy, cool of the day, walking around naked. It's not going to be, can't be like that yet. And so he gives them all these instructions about how they, and sin and, and sickness can approach him in his holiness and perfection, righteousness. And it's interesting, on the tabernacle, you've got all of these images, like woven into the fabric of this tabernacle, you've got these images of Eden. You've got cherubim with flashing swords reminding them of connected as they once were. The fact that meeting with God is actually dangerous. It's so dangerous, in fact, that only one high priest can approach God in this holy of holies, the inner sanctum of the tabernacle. He can only do it once per year. And he can only do it once in his entire life. And even then, they would tie a rope to him as he went in there, just in case he dropped dead. Destroyed themselves. So you have this this type of Eden that's still so incomplete. You have it on a grander scale with the temple once they establish this enormous 
building in the ancient world, just a wonder of this ancient world. The temple is like the tabernacle, just on steroids, and it's for the whole nation of Israel to come and meet with God. And in the same way, the further you go in, just like with Eden, the further you go in, the further into relationship and closeness with God you go, and God is there in the Holy of Holies. But still, as we heard in the story, there is this huge, enormous curtain. And I don't mean like the little curtains you have at home. This is an enormous, thick, woven, like armor-plated kind of curtain dividing God from people. And the cherubim and the seraphim and the swords are all there to remind the people that you can't just walk into God's presence and live. Like Eden, but it's not. yearns for relationship with connect, for connection like Eden like connection with his people but there is this barrier it's there by necessity but then on top of the necessary barrier the people of Israel start accumulating all of these barriers for themselves in this tragic turn this this people who are meant to be chosen out to be a blessing to the in, to, to the whole world Israel is meant to be this vine, like we learned a couple of, like a, a week ago, this vine that produces fruit, that blesses the nations. They're meant to be able to show everyone around the world, everyone of every culture and creed, they're supposed to show them who God is and so bring them in to relationship with him. And yet they fail and they fail and they fail. And they don't just fail, they start working against that plan. By the time Jesus comes along, he is met with the religious leaders who are meant to be showing what Israel can be to the world, like showing who God is, his love, his acceptance, his mercy, and instead they're just putting up more barriers. That's what really annoys Jesus. The fact that the people who are meant to be welcoming prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and showing them how to live in God's kingdom, they're the very ones who are keeping them out. And so you have both by necessity in the curtain and also by the accumulation of religiosity, you have this separation of human beings from the God who loves them. Remember at the end of last year, was it the end of last year where we had all of those incredibly massive floods? Am I right there? I'm not very good with timelines, but we had all of those floods, right? And all of my favorite places in the world for like two months were the, the way was barred for me to enter them. All of my favorite hiking trails out west were just completely destroyed by either by rising river water or just by trees coming down in the storms and so on. I did sneak into one of them, and it wasn't illegal, right? I didn't go into the ones that said you couldn't go in there. I found one that didn't say you couldn't go in there. I don't know why this was, but there was no, no one barring the way. There should have been, because it turned out to be a kind of a treacherous walk. But there's, there's this one, um, one hiking trail in the long forest out there out west, and... Um, and it's this, there's this really beautiful part of the walk where you get 
you, you come down this ridge line, down to the water level at the, at the river, and you have to make your way around this really steep kind of uh, rock wall. And I was doing that and making my way around, and then all of a sudden there was just this enormous accumulation of flood rubbish, like just, you know, like tree, massive tree logs. It must have been tons of rubbish, wood and, I don't know, all kinds of stuff just stacked up against the side of this rock face, and there was absolutely no way for me to get through it. I tried, because I would rather tear myself up getting through that than have to go all the way back around and take twice as long to finish this walk. So I tried, and I tried, and there was no way through. Despite my... Right, my, my yearning to get through despite my desire. It didn't matter how much I wanted to get through that, through onto that path back to my car. I could not get through that accumulation. And this is the state of humanity. As much as we might want to connect with the God who made us and loves us, the way is barred. And all of the cultures throughout all of human history, like all of the cultures who have ever lived, have attempted to get through. All of the religions and philosophies, even like the, the worst of people, in their attempts to, to bring about some kind of utopia of their own envisaging, through to the tribe scratching petroglyphs on a rock wall, like all, everyone ever has been trying to get back into connection with God, that Edenic connection with God. We can't. We can't. And into this impossible situation, Jesus comes along, and in chapter 14 of John, at verse 6, he says, I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus reveals himself as the way back to Eden is the way back into relationship with our creator God. He says of all of these different paths that you could take, try and bring about some kind of heaven on earth, some kind of sense of satisfaction, some kind of Eden. I myself am the way the truth. There is no way apart from through me. Now, understandably, over the years, this has caused a fair bit of controversy, particularly in our, in our own day, because we really, I feel like if there's one thing we don't like, it's exclusive claims, especially in Australia, all right? The, the, the most egalitarian society of all time. Everyone's just, everyone's on equal footing, right? And then Jesus comes along and says, yeah, I love you guys, 
but I am the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father. And this is where you have this juxtaposition of, of the gospel because it is at the same time absolutely exclusive and absolutely inclusive. Because Jesus is the way, the exclusive way. There is no other way to the Father but through him. And that way is open to all people everywhere. Christianity is not the kind of religion that says, well, yeah, we will let you in, but only if. Or behaving in this way. No, it's And absolutely inclusive, everyone is welcome. My kids hate going to uh, theme parks where they've got like a height measurement thing because between my wife and I, they are going to be doing well to get over five feet tall their entire life, right? And, and my boy Judah, he's, he's really, he's like me. Until I was about 17, I was about three foot nine, right, with shoes on. And, and so to come to this, this thing that they have, like, dying to get, get on and have fun on, the, the ride, the, you know, whatever, the slide, and then to know that you don't quite measure up is like a gutting experience. But that experience doesn't exist when we come to the way. There is no single person who doesn't measure up. You know why? Because none of us measure up. And so everyone's welcome. I want to leave you with a little story from the narrative of Good Friday because I think it makes this really clear. It's the thing I read when I think I first understood what it meant that God loved me in spite of me. In spite of all of the accumulated junk in my heart, in my actions, the people that I had hurt. In spite of all of those things, he still loved me. Let me just read it for you and then we're gonna, we're gonna sing together. This is from Luke's gospel account of Good Friday. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him, with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, 
And even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began yelling insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. This man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Every human who has ever lived is yearning for paradise. They're yearning to be at home with God. They're yearning for a new creation, a recreated Eden. Paradise in which they can know and be known. And what this story tells us, this account of the crucifixion, is that there is no one here who is not welcome in paradise. Right, and was put to death for his crimes. Well, you're a good church boy wearing a good church boy cardigan this morning. Everyone. Everyone is welcome. We're going to respond to this message of Good Friday now. and Josh and Joe are going to sing a song for us. I'm going to encourage you just to stay seated for the first song. Think about what you know about Good Friday. Think about the extent to which God gave himself up for your sake to bring you back into relationship with him. Think about these things. Allow yourself even just five minutes to think deeply about this. Then we'll stand and we'll sing a couple of songs. But if during that time you would like to pray with someone, then you just need to make your way over to this area over here. And uh, we'd love to pray with you just about anything at all. So sit tight. Think about the things that we've been talking about this morning.